is the Dave and Shecky Show. We got this groovy podcast for ya. Reviewing crazy tunes or quoting Twain and Sting and Doom. We'll bring ideas to share like bonus points for extra flair. Cause it's the freaking Dave and Shecky Show. Show. We're bringing you this groovy review. We might preview movies, bake some bread, or drink some smoothies. So come on, have way too much caffeine. You roll up some rivers, I'll reference some Raffi. This is the Dave and Shecky Show. I'm Stone Phillips, motherfucker. I am Stone Phillips. Don't tell me what to do. I am Stone Phillips. Okay. Uh, Hello? Oh. I ordered a pizza mm-hmm. with extra. You know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Wow, I'm Stone Phillips. They don't call me Stone for nothing. I don't want a pizza. I want, I want weed. Oh, I'm Stone Phillips now. But deliver me my pizza. I mean my weed, sir. Mm. Well, pizza has taken on a whole new meaning. So if uh, I'm pedophile Stone oh. Phillips. All right, I, and think... I like weed and pizza. Okay. And all right. You can quote me on that. Okay. What are you going to do? Sue me? You can't even leave your house. How are you going to sue somebody? Why are you on Stone Phillips all of a sudden? Is that he even still a thing? What kind of a name? That is the best name in the Stone Phillips? How do you not go far with the name Stone Phillips? I'm going to say Stormfields. Better name. I like Stormfields. What was his son's name? That was the son. Yeah. What was the what was it, Frank? Frank Fields was the dad. Oh, Frank. He was the best. He's like, ah, I'm named Frank. I know another Frank who named their kid weird names. I'm going to follow in his footsteps. Who's the other Frank? Moon unit. Oh. Uh, Yeah, I don't know that Frank Fields had some sort of conversation with Frank Zappa. Uh, I think that might be a rumor on your part. Conjecture. Well, when I was a kid. Sure, sure. When I was a kid. Yeah. I had a poster that said, Rip Torn and Geraldine Page. Uh-huh. And it said, Torn Rip Torn Page. Page. Uh-huh. And I was like, what the hell kind of world am I living in where this says Rip Torn Page? Yes. And for a minute, a minute I think they were even married to each other. Uh, really? Each other. Yeah. We're both having some funk. The funk I'm, of 40,000 I'm uh, following years. in the footsteps of Janine Pirro today. Uh, you know what? How are you? I won't. You know what? Won't allow it. Won't oh. allow any bad talk. Oh about- no, I'm. I love the. I love. Uh, I love things. Okay. Anyway, uh, what was the? Why did you think of? Because I'm Stone Phillips. Uh-huh. Why? Why did you see? Did, did something? What happened? Did you see something about Stone Phillips? Is he even still a working right, person? Here's what happened. Okay. I thought to myself, huh? What's a good name? Mm. And I just, it just came to me, Stone Phillips. And I'm like, huh? I think that's actually a person. Uh-huh. And then I had a. I had to actually confirm with myself that I didn't make it up, but he was actually a newscaster. He was like a like a. Was he a newscaster or was he on one of those like uh, magazine type shows, like, uh, like Forty Eight Hours or I'm something? I'm not sure. Stone <clears throat> Phillips. All right. Well, there you go. Well, I want guys oh. like Stone Phillips on my team. You that do? sounds like a pilot. He could fly the plane. I don't know that. Uh, I think he. I. I, Richard Quest and Stone Phillips Airlines. I think you have fallen for some weird naming scheme. Richard Quest Airlines. No, thank you. Would, you, tr- would you trust it? Yeah, no. All right. 
Welcome, 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 everyone. Uh, this is episode number 73 of the Middle Age Cool Kids Super Terrific Podcast featuring your pals. Oh, Jesus, I got to go through this again. Every week. Uh, Tony and Sal. Tony and Sal. Yeah, just two nondescript guys uh, from uh, Plainfield, New Jersey. Tony and Sal. Hey, this one goes out to you. Tony and Sal. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, shit. All right. Well, uh, I'd like to be Tony. All right, because I'm always Sal. Uh Because that reminds me of Soupy. Sales. That shouldn't. And I'd like all of you to go into your parents' drawers and send me some money. Okay. I don't mean their underwear. I mean their drawers. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I want all of you to go into your parents' drawers while they're wearing them. Today's episode uh, is Number five in our series of conspiracies, unsolved mysteries, and deep, dark secrets. No MSG. That is what? MSG. It's a myth that it's even a problem. That 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 they've ingrained that into our, ingrained that into our head that MSG causes problems. Didn't it baby, co- boomers, baby boomers believe that MSG will kill you. Did they think it would kill you? Well, if you don't like migraines. Oh, I don't. Uh. Everyone was convinced that MSG gave you a migraine. But apparently some Chinese people have debunked that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think we that might be in the restaurant industry. I wonder uh, what other things the Chinese have debunked. Um, all right. So. Today's episode, like I said, what did we say today's episode is, Dave? I just want to make sure you're with uh, me. Mysteries and uh, unsolved uh, mm. sphinxes. Okay. Uh, it's conspiracies, uh, uh, unsolved mysteries, and deep, dark secrets. At what point can I go, did I do that? At any point, really, I think. I just uh, did it. Hey, okay. Oh, so, uh, how this works is I have one of each. I All have right. a conspiracy, I have an unsolved mystery, and I have a deep, dark secret. And I let Dave pick which one he wants to uh, go over first. Uh, he usually shits on all three. And uh, that's how it goes. Hey, I it get, Let's I go get, with a uh, I get mad. I get mad at him. Let's go to Kaspersh. And he just keeps rolling over me because he doesn't care. I do care. This is a, 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 a flow here. Okay. Flow and Eddie. Flow oh. from progressive. Kiss my grits. Uh-huh. Boom. That's seven flows. Three flows. What did you say you wanted? Uh, now you're going to tra- test me? Conspiracy? Yeah. All right. Today's conspiracy is adrenochrome. I've never heard of that. Or adrenochrome. That I've heard of. Okay. That sounds like some sort of hormone, synthesized hormone, bionic man stuff. Let me play this movie clip for you. What is this shit? That stuff makes pure mescaline seem like ginger beer, man. Adrenochrome. Adrenochrome? Hmm. I remember thinking, Jesus, what a terrible thing to lay on somebody with a head full of acid. But we have a problem. Where'd you get this? Never mind, it's absolutely pure. What kind of monster client have you hooked up with this time? Satanism freak. I think there's only one source for this stuff in the, uh, 
adrenaline gland from a living human body. I know. The guy didn't have any cash to pay me. He offered me human blood, said it would take me higher than I'd ever been in my life. Why should I fuck with children, he said. They're too small. So, uh, adrenochrome was mentioned in uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas as a... Is that in the book? Maybe just in the movie. No, I'm pretty sure it's in the book. Well, that movie is very good. Hunter S. Thompson's book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, claims that adrenochrome is obtained from the adrenal gland of living humans. It is often falsely reported that it would say in the book that it is obtained from the human adrenal gland, but this is only reproduced in the film version. So there you go. A little bit of both. Interesting. Apparently, right now, the conspiracy is that, well, the adrenochrome conspiracy is long-lived. It's been around for years right now. But right now, uh, people are starting to look at these videos, these coronavirus videos from celebrities, and they are taking note that the celebrities look terrible uh you know some say it's well they don't they can't have contact with their makeup people they can't have contact with their hair people um they have no one to direct them how to act so they're acting insanely Mm -hmm. in some cases just really bizarrely madonna is a great example of that come on go let's go eat some fried fish Fish. Come on, go. Let's go eat some fried fish. Fried fish. Cause there's no more pasta. Oh no. So we're gonna eat some fried fish. Fried fish. Yeah. Other people, though, are saying there's something more to it than just that. Adrenochrome. A substance extracted from a living human body. But could such a drug be real? According to numerous independent researchers, not only is it real, many of the Illuminati elite are addicted to it and will stop at nothing to satisfy their depraved demand. And the claim is, is that these celebrities are all adrenochrome junkies and that they are unable to get their fixes now uh, because of the coronavirus that their the production is either shut down or their their pushers are not available to give them their their supply that's the most moronic thing i ever heard in my life this is a this is a thing. I mean, I've and I've heard people say, like, uh, maybe even a Gavin McInnes or even Owen Benjamin say, "Look at them. They all look sick." Now they don't say why they think they look sick, but we've we've heard Owen Benjamin say that all of those people look sick. They are sick. It's not from adrenochrome. What it's is from it? a bad t- cell phone? What? It's from a really bad angle cell phone mm-hmm. waking up. Will Ferrell, he's not addicted to adrenochrome. It doesn't even exist. What the fuck are we talking about here? Adrenochrome is a chemical known by modern science since at least the 1930s. 
It is a chemical compound with a molecular formula. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what that means. C9H9NO3. Um, it is produced by the oxidization of adrenaline, epinephrine, in mammals. The chemical concentrate, uh, the chemical concentrates in the body during times of extreme fear and terror. So right away, it makes me think of wait what Monsters what? Inc. The city of Monstropolis in the Monster World is powered by energy from the screens of human children. At the Monsters, Inc. factory, skilled monsters employed as scarers venture into the human world to scare children and harvest their screams through doors that activate portals to children's bedroom closets. It is considered dangerous work, as human children are believed to be toxic. Oh. Uh, right? When they were trying to get the kids frightened, yeah. and they were stealing their essences to uh to fuel their monster uh wait so what does it do when they're on it it makes them normal <laughs> no it makes them high as fuck it makes them crazy so wait they're on it now in the videos or they're not on it they're not on it now so why would it have the reverse effect well because now they can't function oh because now so now they're high before it's... they were completely normal just functioning adrenochromatics Maybe. I mean, Nonsense. look, there are functional heroin addicts, right? There are functional alcoholics. Yes, yes and we've heard of this. Uh-huh. We've been, I've been around, we've been around enough people that you would have heard of this. Over the years, many testimonies of people who, are, who have survived Illuminati sacrificial rituals. Who survived one? High-ranking government officials and people who have witnessed their kids being subjected to high-level pedophilia oh, and Jesus. Satanism have all come forward David to Ike share calling. Calling David Icke. their experiences. Most of them have shared the same story over and over again. Yeah, they were raped by George Bush. They say the cabal or the Illuminati, these high-ranked politicians, bankers, businessmen, they all take part in Satanist rituals in which they subject a person or even many individuals to unbelievable levels of torture and trauma. In most cases, they prefer torturing children as they consider them to be more pure and to produce high potency adrenochrome okay okay what all right now it's not uh adrenochrome is available to buy on the dark web this isn't I, just completely I, I made don't up go on the dark web so it's not available for me no 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 i understand what you're saying but i i just don't want you to think that this is the whole thing is just made up out of thin air there are people who sell adrenochrome it is a thing um you know much like there are people who drink blood out there the, whether it's true or not that they're all, vampires there are people who do it don't you think that uh that it's a synthetic form if I it's would, even real at all I'm telling you, I would hope so. I mean, they, there's synthetic cocaine and there's natural cocaine. I, 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 what is this? I, you know, I don't know what to tell these people. Well, I don't know they're looking for us to tell them. We're just talking well, about... Well, look, it may or may not exist, but it's not manifesting itself in a, in a homemade video because they don't have it. That's making the whole concept of it look stupid. Maybe it exists, but it has nothing to do with that. Well, why do you think all the, the celebrities look like shit? Just because they have bad phones and ma ma no makeup person? Yeah. Yes, I do. I mean, I don't disagree with you. I think makeup... <laughs> exactly why. Makeup these days is not 
I what think it used all to be. Panicking, and they don't take time to set the shot properly, and they look like morons. Well, and, or and they probably think it's cool to look like a moron. It's their equivalent of uh, being a rich person but pretending to be poor. Yeah, they're try- They think they're put. They're sacrificing themselves. It's all to show us that they're all, they're all just like us. Madonna's um, just nuts. She's always been nuts. She's absolutely out of her mind. She's on pills, probably. She's fallen and hurt herself four, four or five times in the past year. Well, she's, she's also like medicine. seventy, right? So she's sixty, and she's probably on medicine. Medicine meaning she's out of her fucking head and well, panicking. That's this is like adrenochrome. This is just a fucking retard. Yeah, I mean this is true. This is the other thing with celebrities. Uh, having worked for a few or with a few in my life. There are people around them whose paycheck week to week depends on those celebrities. So it's very rare that those celebrities hear, no, that's a bad idea. I wouldn't do that. And when they do hear it, you're fired or you're, you know, you're, there's, it's, it's yeah, insane. So people put videos up without anyone telling them not to. That's yeah. all that is. Oh, that's a great idea, Madonna. In the bathtub. I oh my I- God. That's awesome. Singing about fish that what? Amazing, brilliant, so artistic. I don't even think anyone told her anything. She just posts the shit. No, I'm telling you, they think. Well, that's the other thing is that they have. They are in a bubble. They're in a bubble where they've been sold, told yes so many times that they literally think every idea they have is brilliant. They think they can do no wrong because of the team of people around them wanting that paycheck every week, and uh, it's 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 sinful. But people want to feed their kids, I guess. But it's there's. Uh, I've always had a problem with not being honest. It it makes me sick to my stomach. So I've never been. Uh, oh yeah, that's a great idea. Unless I thought it was, you know, at least a decent idea. I might have been like, yeah, that's a great idea, and thinking to myself, that's all right. But I would never. If it was a shitty idea, I would never be like, yeah, let's do that. I mean. It's absurd, but Madonna and uh, why would Madonna ask you what are what are uh, it's because they want to hear yes. I'm telling you, I've been in the situation. I've been in edit rooms. I've been one on ones. They want to hear yes. They they already know in their mind it's brilliant, but they just want that validation. Always, I mean that's why they do anything for validation. So uh, it's 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 insane. It's insane. it's insane, but so you're you're of the mind. It's just a celebrity bubble, but no adrenochrome. Not in this instance. That's stupid. <laughs> People are stupid. Not only are they addicted to this drug, but let's be real: to kill and torture other human beings, you have to be a person who does not feel any guilt remorse or compassion we call the people who exhibit these kinds of behaviors psychopaths and that's what these people are yeah everyone in hollywood is a psychopath that's convenient well i I wouldn't doubt that there are a few that's not everyone Mm -mm. that's true it's not everyone so you don't want to hear will ferrell's not a psychopath leave the fucking guy alone they're morons. They do. They sing Imagine because they think it's good, but that doesn't make them make them addicted to a, a fucking weirdo drug. They're addicted to fame. They're fucking controlled. Fuck them. Controlled by what? The people who keep them employed. Yeah. Anyway, what's next? 
So, <laughs> so are you done with the uh, conspiracy of adrenochrome? You don't want to hear anything more. Uh, uh, I don't know. I mean, there was also the movie I Come in Peace. Do you remember that yeah, one? Well, that sounds disgusting. That's probably why we have this problem right now. People coming in peace all over the place. No, no, no. Peace. Oh. Where Dolph Lundgren is uh, part of some sort of... There's another planet that sucks the juice out of pituitary glands. I just glands. got an idea for all you out uh, there. Let's bring back old school 70s porno films based on movies. I come in peace. Come uh, on. This is a good gay thing. Uh, do it, guys. You know what to do. Ew. Go to the grocery store and come in peace. All right. Well, that is enough about this. Uh, Dave does not is not into the adrenochrome conspiracy. I have to say I see a lot of it on my timeline. Uh... I do know for for certain it is available on the dark web. I have looked into adrenochrome. Oh, what would you do with it? You'd inject it? I don't know. I I uh, it what, does. Put it in a smoothie. It comes in a vial in this uh, movie and in the book. I guess you rub he, it on your cack. In the movie, in the book, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, I believe he takes a, an eyedropper and puts it on his tongue. Yeah, but the, he refers to it as more powerful than mescaline. Now, mm-hmm. mescaline is a psychedelic. Okay. So, why would these people act normal on a psychedelic? Who's uh, who knows? Because I don't it's know. Not true. Oh, they're micro. Maybe they're microdosing it. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Maybe they microdose the adrenochrome. So, are you coming around to saying maybe it's a thing? Yeah, it's a thing. Uh huh. Okay. Fred Sanford has some. No, he's he's passed away from adrenochrome. Oh, I he thought injected it... too much into Anesta, and she beat the shit out of him. Uh-huh. No, I don't think so. Uh. Anyway, there is a there's a documentary, the Adrenochrome. Uh, oh, the, a documentary? Does that mean it's true? <clears throat> the Elite's Secret Super Drug documentary. It's a mockumentary. Yeah, I don't know that it's a mockumentary. Um, Meant to mock you. I don't think it's mocking me, but uh, I will post the links to this article and to the documentary. Um, so you can take a look for yourself. Now, remember, just because Dave shits on something, it doesn't mean that it. Uh, you know, there's not something to it. A documentary? You mean a documentary? Uh-huh. All right. So that's it for our conspiracy, adrenochrome. Uh, I feel like it's... I'm not going to say it's not what is causing these uh, these um, people to look weird or act weird, but I, I think it's out there, and I'm sure there are people uh, who do it. I don't know what they get out of it. I don't care to know, but I don't. Ask I'm not going dis- to. I'm not going to dismiss I bet it. Aaron Berg's on it. I'm not going to dismiss it like you do, but uh, Adrenochrome I, I, isn't that a Paul Simon song? Nope, that is not. All right, next up we have unsolved mysteries or deep dark secrets. Uh. Let's do uh, Deep Dark Secrets. Deep Dark Secrets. Meet the fixer who covered up Stars' abortions, lesbian affairs, and at least one murder. Now, this I believe. Well, because it's, it's, it's fact. Oh, well then, what, what are we doing here? It's a Deep Dark Secret. Oh, factual secret. A factual secret. No longer a secret. 
Eddie Mannix ruled the lives of the megastars during the golden age of cinema. He arranging, looks a lot like George Clooney. Mm-hmm, arranging abortions for actresses, hiring security to stop binge drinking, and even ordering killings, all to keep their public personas clean. Who would he kill? E.J. Fleming, who wrote a book on him, The Fixers, Eddie Mannix, Howard Strickling, and the MGM Publicity Machine, told The Sun, Mannix was a tough guy from New Jersey. If he hadn't fallen into the movie business, he would have ended up as a knee-breaker for somebody. Knee-breaker. As general manager and later a vice president of MGM Studios during the golden era, he kept the talent in line. Most of the stars of the era were nothing like we knew them, so it took a lot of choreographing. For instance, everyone thought Grace Kelly was a princess, but in reality, she was amoral and slept with practically all of her co-stars. Well, that doesn't mean she couldn't be a princess. Well, she did become a princess. All right, then. So they both are true. She became Princess Let's Grace. Let's not rewrite history. Uh. She was a princess. There's, that's not the part that they're saying wasn't true. Everybody thought she was a princess because they were correct. Right. But I think they thought she acted like a princess. Just because you think a princess does one thing don't mean a princess don't do something else. Okay. So her being amoral and sleeping with her, with practically all of her co-stars is princess-like behavior to you. She knew how to work the industry. Oh, it was Mannix who concealed Greta Garbo. Mannix is a TV show. Uh-huh. It was Mannix who concealed Greta Garbo's affairs with women and locked in a vault a lesbian porn film starring Joan Crawford before she was famous. It was called Mommy Queerist. He also forced her to end a long <laughs> affair you. with Clark Gable. Oh, Clark, Clark wasn't able. Mm-hmm. He needed some Viagra. Hi, I'm Clark Gay Bill. You can just call me Gay Bill. After approximately 72 years, the stag film that dogged Joan Crawford's early career has finally been been uncovered. Oh, when did this happen? Uh, about 20, uh, 15 years ago. Have we seen it? I have not. Have you heard of it? It was. It has been rumored for years that Crawford also appeared in a short. 16 millimeter film that was intended for the stag market in the 20s stag. such films were the precursor of the modern f- pornography industry intended to excite their mostly male audiences like betty white what do you mean betty white i don't know she was topless back in the 40s or 30s it's, it's topless I, I topless think. you know what i'm talking about uh-huh i'm pretty sure i know what topless means oh uh, the story went on that Crawford's film was known by MGM chief Louis B. Mayer, and he did his best to buy up all copies. That's Mannix. Is the, Eddie Mannix is the one who did that. Where um, are the copies now? Is it grainy? Hello, your film is grainy. Or is it crystal clear? Because I don't believe they have such an image. We would have seen this. Oh no! It's this no. See, this isn't. This is not. This is not untrue. Then where's the footage? I think. Well, the, the, this is what's happening. They're saying that this the, is what it is. <sighs> what? What are they saying? It says here, locked in a vault, a lesbian porn film starring Joan Crawford before she was famous. Right. So if if it comes out, 
So the vault, it's still in the vault to this day. It might still be in the vault. Ah, uh, it's a hogwash. Uh, Where's this vault? I don't know. Just it's... some imaginary vault with all kinds of goodies in it. Fleming said once Mannix took care of a problem, he owned the actor. Didn't this guy write James Bond? Uh, no. Hollywood's Mr. Fix-It. Ian Fleming didn't do James Bond. This is not Ian Fleming. This is the person who wrote the book. Uh, Hollywood's Mr. Fix-It kept megastar Clark Gable out of trouble so often, the Gone with the Wind star considered Mannix one of his closest pals. Yeah, I don't know. It's very possible. I'm just saying, you know, where's the film? In... Are you dying to see Joan Crawford in a lesbian movie? I am not, but I'd like proof of this. Otherwise, it's hogwash. I think they said it's... uh, It would be available to see on the internet right now. If it was in the vault. If it's in the vault and not discovered, it does not exist. If a tree falls in the forest, Paul Bunyan's a cock. Mommy queerist. Now that's good stuff. I know you think that is. Uh, let's see. Once bitten, twice queer. Joan Crawford's porn films. How Star was twice blackmailed by brother who threatened to leak her early stag movies as Feud recounts Hollywood scandal around the first celebrity sex tape. Oh, so the brother has these films. No. Joan Crawford starred in multiple stag films prior to her days as a star, according to multiple biographers, including Velvet Lips. Oh, God. And Who's the, that? I believe that's a lesbian film title i like that that sounds like a guns and roses song not available to view yeah because it doesn't exist you know what else isn't available to view the assassination of someone who doesn't exist where's the brother mannix took all his tapes bobby crawford so both of those movies not coming up in a search yeah the casting the casting the casting couch and velvet velvet lips how about uh just for instance just as a comparison Mm -hmm. if you were to search for uh what's that jerry lewis movie that never got made oh the day of the clown what happens when that come when you search that was it ever shot, or was it just... Some of it was shot. So there's footage of it somewhere? So, yeah. So even that, there's footage of. Yeah, but this... That Dave. no one ever wanted that to see the light of day. Yeah, but this is 30 years past that, and this was... Uh, yeah, I don't... He was, he was very proud of it. I don't believe the, the story. You don't believe the story of Jerry Lewis and the Day of the Clown crime? No, I don't believe the story that there's a tape in some vault somewhere, or a, a reel of film. It I just don't believe it. it's in multiple th- multiple biographers then said why haven't they ever found it if it's been found we'd be able to see it someone would have seen it and talked about it who has seen it someone no one Crawford denied ever appearing in an indecent film in her 1962 memoir but her first husband Douglas Fairbanks Jr. claims she told him about the pictures I don't, I'm not saying they don't I'm Look, I'm not saying that they don't... That she, I, she might have done this. Well, here she is. But I don't think they're in a vault somewhere. They have a picture of her scantily clad in the 20s before she became a big star. Yes, but that's not topless and that's not a lesbian thing. That's just whatever. I don't know. Well, that, not that particular picture, but it's still... 
So she, in other words, she wanted it. No, no one is saying she wanted she it. She dressed like she wanted it. N- no, but this is clearly a photograph that she's posing for. It's not a snapshot. This is some she sort looks of... like Flutzy. Okay. No one knows who Flutzy is. Good. Yeah, exactly. Let's keep it that way. Uh, let's see... In 1933, Gable is believed to have run over and killed actress Tosca Rulian. Uh, he could have walked. But it is alleged Mannix paid off her husband and then unknown MGM screenwriter John Houston, who took the blame. Houston was never charged due to lack of evidence. Sounds like some shenanigans right there. Mannix also reportedly... Clark Gable might have been an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Mannix also reportedly colluded with police to ensure that it never emerged that Gable and fellow star Spencer Tracy were regulars at a brothel on Sunset Boulevard. Yeah, I believe all that. Keeping Tracy in line became practically a full-time job for Mannix. I bet it was. Fleming said, Spencer Tracy was an awful human being. Who, Ian Fleming? No, the person who wrote this book. Who's Fleming? The author. It's not Ian Fleming. It's not Ian Fleming. So this has nothing to do with James Bond. I'm really annoyed with you. I'm just saying. E.J. Fleming is the person who I told you his name was. Fleming said, Spencer Tracy was an awful human being, a real nasty drunk who would punch fans in the face if they asked for an autograph. (laughs) Mannix assigned a private security detail and arranged it so every bar and restaurant within a 30-mile radius of the studio would have a special hotline to call if Tracy walked in. That's ridiculous. This unit would then be dispatched to literally carry him out. Yeah, I don't doubt that. It's very possible. Thanks to Mannix, it was never revealed that a 38-year-old Tracy bedded child star Judy Garland when she was in her early teens. MGM's manipulations were to continue throughout tragic Garland's life. The Wizard of Oz actress who fought a lifelong battle with drug and alcohol addiction... Perhaps adrenochrome, I don't know, was allegedly first introduced to booze at 17 by Mannix. Have some booze here, kid. Have some booze. Who thought it would encourage her to divulge more to her. Lotion up, kid. You need some booze. To her publicist, Betty Asher, also his mistress. That's the ticket. Garland and Asher also reportedly became lovers. Garland and Asher, see? When Garland became pregnant at 20. Not from Asher. After She's a broad, sh- see? What? Can, so, you, can uh, I say a sentence? Well, you are. We're doing a thing here. No, you're doing a thing. I'm just trying to get through We're doing this a whole article. Thing here. I see. When Garland became pregnant at 20 after yeah. a. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> when Garland became pregnant at 20 after a short lived marriage to band leader David Rose. Yeah. He was a fag, see? It was Mannix who arranged the termination. He is believed to have set up abortions for numerous young actresses in trouble, including pinup Lana Turner. Yeah, that was one hell of a broad. But when MGM star Loretta Young got pregnant after... Oh, that was the... That broke the camel's back, as they say. It was a straw, see? What? Yeah, I just I just don't like you right now. Come on. 
Keep going. This is hot. Hot stuff, kid. I'm trying to I'm trying to give you the uh, deep dark secret. I am, I'm hearing it. Okay. Mannix was the cat. This this dude was ruthless, maybe. But when MGM star Loretta Young got pregnant after an alleged fling with Clark Gable, she refused the studio's usual solution due to her Roman Catholic beliefs. Oh Jesus, she got iced. So instead, Mannix devised a scheme which saw the actress adopt her own love child. Wait, so that doesn't make sense. She Sorry. got pregnant, they hid the pregnancy, she had the baby, and instead of telling people that she was pregnant with Clark Gable's kid, this kid? they made it seem like she adopted a child. Well, what had happened to that kid? Were they an, were they an actress? That kid is... Judy Lewis. Never heard of her, she? Uh, Judy Lewis, born Judith Young, November 6, 1935, passed away 2011, was an American actress, writer, producer, and therapist. She was the secret biological daughter of actor Clark Gable and actress Loretta Young. That shit's crazy, yo. It is crazy, so stop it. Mine, I believe it's all true, except for that shit in the vault, see? I believe the shit in the vault is the most true Where's of all. Where's that vault? I want to get to that vault. Nobody's vault but mine, see? <sighs> One of Mannix's most notorious alleged fixes came in 1932, soon after MGM director Paul Byrne wed the studio's biggest star, Jean Harlow. Byrne also had a common-law wife, Dorothy Millette, in New York. One night, neighbors heard a man and a woman arguing by Byrne's pool in the Hollywood Hills. There was the sound of breaking glass and a gunshot. Holy smokes. Byrne lay dead in his bathroom, a bullet through his head. Oh, Jesus. It is claimed Mannix realized at once that the director had been shot by Millette, who jumped to her death from a ferry soon afterwards. The scandal would have tarnished Harlow and the studio, so with the help of the police, he rearranged the crime scene to look like a suicide. Yeah, I bet some of this stuff still goes on today, see? In 1937, Wallace Beery was a top MGM star and the world's highest paid actor. Never even heard of the guy. Uh, let's see. Was the TV show Mannix named after this guy? He was the champ in the in the original The Champ with Freddie Bartholomew, I believe. Oh, oh Jackie Jackie Cooper. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. He was uh, old school brother of actor Noah Beery Senior and uncle of actor Noah Beery Junior, who I think you do realize or recognize from. Uh, I think he was in. Um, he played Rockford's father. Oh. Remember Rockford mm. Files? His I, father? His dad? Sort of. Okay. So he a, was a big deal at the time. All okay. Right. Uh, anyway. In 1937, Wallace Beery was the top MGM star and the world's highest paid actor. One night while out drinking with two friends, Cubby Broccoli and mobster Pat DeChico, they got into a bar brawl with the actor Ted Healy. They beat him so badly he died of his injuries. Cubby, bro Cubby Broccoli? Cubby Broccoli, sorry. Uh, Ted Healy was an American vaudeville performer, comedy, a comedian, and actor. 
He is chiefly remembered as the creator of the Three Stooges and the style of slapstick comedy that they later made famous. He had a successful stage and film career of his own and was cited as a formative influence by several later comedy stars. He probably got drunk and was trying to pull that shit in person and they beat the shit out of him. Healy died on December 24th, 1937 at the age of 41 after an evening of celebration at the Trocadero nightclub on the Sunset Strip in Los Angeles. He was reportedly celebrating the birth of his son, an event he had eagerly anticipated, according to Mo Howard. He was nuts about kids, wrote Howard. He used to visit our homes and envied the fact that we were all married and had children. He always loved kids and often gave Christmas parties for underprivileged youngsters and spent hundreds of dollars on toys. Jesus. The circumstances surrounding his death remain a matter of some controversy. An MGM spokesman initially announced the cause as a heart attack, but the presence of recent wounds, a cut over his right eye and a discolored left eye, combined with reports of an altercation at the Trocadero, gave rise to speculation that he died as a result of those injuries. Maybe he died as a result of a heart attack after being beaten the shit out of him. While no documentation is seen in contemporaneous news reports that either Beery or DeChico was present, Broccoli admitted that he was indeed involved in a fistfight with Healy at the Trocadero. He later modified his story, stating that a heavily intoxicated Healy had picked a fight with him and the two had briefly scuffled and then shook hands and parted ways. So, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a true story. This is... This is this is what this guy Mannix do- did. Who and fixed Mannix? What happened to him? One day he was rubbed out, I bet. Um, let's see. I'm still reading this other man stuff. Man knew too much. A man who too, knew too much. Mannix. Anyway, uh, they beat Ted Healy so badly he died of his injuries. Mannix allig- allegedly paid to ensure the coroner's report stated he died of alcoholism. Mannix is like Harvey Keitel. He fixes everything. Fleming said the priority was always protecting the interests of MGM, so he covered up a murder. Where's this movie? Let's make the movie about Mannix. They did make a movie. Uh, the Coen brothers made a movie about Mannix, but they made it a comedy, and it didn't really touch on how absolutely evil he was. Um, well, if he didn't do it, somebody else would, Shane. Then there was the, the most famous and most egregious thing he did. Um, and the most covered... A fatty Arbuckle incident. No. Not I'm sorry. There was a young lady named Patricia Douglas. Um, that sounds like a broad who's a lead singer. She danced. She was a dancer. Um, she danced in the 1933 musical Gold Diggers. Uh, she'd been hired for another role when she was invited to a Hollywood ranch in 1937. Oh, Jesus. Uh, she was there with dozens of other girls. They uh, were there to entertain... MGM executives during a party um, midway through this party so they had they put out a casting call for girls to show up mm-hmm. she showed up she thought she was just going to be a background dancer as uh, which was usually what she was mm-hmm. um, showed up they put them in heavy makeup and cowgirl outfits and then bust them to this ranch where there were 300 drunken uh, executives and these, you know, a couple dozen girls. And so, what do you think happened? Uh, they needed more girls. She got raped. She got raped. And she uh, went to the hospital. This is the problem. She got raped, 
and then went to L.A., because that's where she was, to try and get help. But L.A. was literally owned by the studios and, and mostly MGM. Rosemary's baby. The doctor, you know, and the owner of the hospital were friends with people at MGM. Charles Grodin will take you back to the, the people who are going to kill you. So uh, she got she went to the hospital. The guy refused to say that she had had intercourse. Um they she so she she you know she called the cops she she started trying to sue people because no one would believe her mm. because it was so the 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 cover up was so complete she tried to sue everyone and every time she did if she had a witness um they were either paid off or given roles uh or given jobs it was she she could never ever get justice right it's a i mean and it's a story that went on and on and she was maligned that people try to say she was an alcoholic but she never she was she was a teetotaling virgin when she went to this party she was young she wasn't you know she was a young dancing girl um and they covered it up and and basically ruined her life just they just were ruthless they would pay off her attorneys it was this have to do with Mannix Mannix was the guy who orchestrated all of it this was what <sighs> wait he orchestrated getting the people there he orchestrated her not being able to get justice for being raped gotcha. at the MGM party at the ranch he was in charge of it it was it was all in that same area and he he literally just ruined her ruined her life she couldn't act anymore none she had had all these friends that were in hollywood because it was you know such a close knit thing you know she'd go out to lunch with this one or you know bullshit with this one afterwards no one would talk to her she was a victim and these guys uh made sure that uh she was er erased they didn't even allow um the newspapers wouldn't even print the studio name when they said that she was accusing someone at a studio party they wouldn't even print the studio name but they would give her name her picture her address but would not implicate the studio it was it, i i can't imagine that this shit is not going on today still I can't imagine it's not even good. Look, I mean, look at Harvey Weinstein. Look what he was doing. He was hiring uh, detectives and people to call up his victims and pretend that they were writing stories um, about their side, and but they weren't. They were just detectives pretending they were journalists to find out all the information that those people would give them. It's still like that. It still goes on. It's insane. So... Uh, are they on adrenochrome? I don't know. Are they fucked up? Yeah. They're terrible people there. Poop a platter. Mm -hmm. I like a poop a platter, preach. Okay. I'm not sure, uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. I want to know what happened in next with Aminix. Well, I mean, those were the the most the 
the stories uh, that are the biggest ones that age, are covered here. He just died here. of old age, this guy? Or, he yeah. didn't die of old age. What Let's see. What happened to him is what I'm saying. Who wiped out the man? He, I think he died uh, of suspicious causes, see? By the time Mannix died in 1963, aged 72, the power of the studio system had largely waned. Ah. So he lived to be 72. 72. Um, let's see here. Uh, before Eddie Mannix died in 1963, six years after Louis B. Mayer succumbed to leukemia, ten months after uh, David Ross, he was the guy who raped this young lady, Patricia Douglas, mm. was ravaged by rectal cancer, and a decade before the gunshot suicide of Buron Fitz, I think he was the attorney for MGM, uh, he was asked whatever became of that girlie who took on MGM. We killed her, Mannix allegedly retorted, though in hindsight his meaning was metaphorical. The insinuation remains chillingly clear. Post-Patricia Douglas, no rape case on record would implicate MGM. And so successfully did the studio expunge its Wild West party from history that though it was national news at the time, not a single published source since that I could find on MGM, Mayer, Mannix, Hal Roach, or Hollywood mentions the once notorious event. So yeah. this was by somebody who wrote a whole article about it on uh, Variety. Yeah, I get some microfiche. I will... <laughs> I will, I will link it. But they, they did wind up, this person who wrote this article, um, I haven't really been reading from the article, but someone did write an article about it. Um, it happened one night at MGM. They went on to make a documentary called Girl 27, which you can see on YouTube, but you have to pay for it. Where did this story go? And what really happened here? This is a huge story. How did the story die? And if it did die, who buried it? These lovely girls, and you had the finest of them, greet you, and that's to show you how we feel about you and the kind of a good time at the head of you, starting tonight. If they had any idea of the ramifications and the ripple effect that that had on her, it changed her life, my grandmother's life, mine. I have no idea where her life would have gone had it not been for that night. Don't you come near me. She's a trail. There were the whole vocabulary of bad woman, slut, tart, tramp, everything came up immediately if if anybody mentioned she was raped. First of all, I was stunned. I have read a lot about legal cases over the years. I had never heard of her. And I was actually quite scandalized that, number one, this had happened to her. And number two is that, why wasn't anybody talking about it? Why are we sweeping this under the carpet? Thanks, Corey. Who's Corey? Corey Feldman. Oh, I don't know what that has to do with anything. I'm saying you can see you can find out all the information, but you got to pay first. Well, I don't, it's not twenty dollars. I think it's like three ninety nine or something. It was Charlie Sheen. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Man loves Crisco. Look, Charlie Sheen is a. Uh, you don't think he they don't could call be him Charlie Sheen for nothing? Let's see. Let's let me ask you this. You don't think Charlie Sheen could be a adrenochrome junkie? 
You honestly don't think that he likes tiger blood? Well, what is tiger blood is another a word for adrenochrome. That's correct. He wasn't even hiding it. Well, hiding it. Well, he's calling it something Michael else. Michael Jackson liked it too. I don't know about that. Yeah, and Prince. All the dead celebrities, except Charlie Sheen, who's not dead. Never uh, mind. Uh-huh. Okay. Carly Simon's a big adrenochrome junkie. That's why she's got such a big mouth. That's not true. Carly, stop shooting that shit in your lips. Stop it. That's not true. Those are not the people they're accusing of being a tree. Cher, Carly Simon, uh-huh. Bette Midler. Okay. I'm lumping Carly Simon in with you, all those people, even though she said nothing. She's, yeah, I would, uh, I mean, she might have said something. The I don't know. The woman abandoned her sister for a solo career, okay? Mm. The Simon sisters. Well, you should have told me you had a deep, dark secret. I had a dark oh. secret. It's called Carly Simon's the evil bitch. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. That's a terrible secret. All right. Are you ready for our unsolved mystery? Yes. Or do you want to talk about uh, Carly Simon some more? Sally. Sally Carmen. Who's that? Carly Simon's alter ego. I see. Oh, Sally Carmen. All right. Go ahead. Our unsolved mystery. Now, I can solve this for you in one statement. Okay. I have to hear what it is first. Okay. All right. Our unsolved mystery. Electricity. No. No. D.B. Cooper. I know that dude. When he got on a plane in Portland, Oregon last night, he was just another passenger who gave his name as D.A. Cooper. But today, after hijacking a Northwest Airlines jet, ransoming the passengers in Seattle, then making a getaway by parachute somewhere between there and Reno, Nevada, the description on one wire service, master criminal. Bill Curtis reports. 36 passengers got off the jetliner in Seattle last night, left aboard four crew members and the hijacker, dressed in a business suit demanding $200,000 and carrying a plane briefcase which he told the crew held explosives. With the full ransom collected from Seattle banks and four parachutes aboard, the plane headed for Reno. It took three and a half hours, slow for a jet, but the hijacker had given detailed flight instructions. The rear stairwell was open all the way. It arrived at Reno in shreds. The crew, here being debriefed by the FBI, was told to fly low over Oregon's flatlands with the flaps down. The speed dropped to 200 miles per hour. Somewhere, the hijacker parachuted away with the money. The crew had little to say. Oh, uh, we gave the information to the authorities and uh, we just don't want to discuss it any further. Have you been told by the FBI not to discuss? No, they handle their investigation, and uh, my company would rather have it released through them. Tina, were you with the with the rest of the crew during during the the flight after you left the ground the last time? Yes, I went up to the cockpit. None of you were within sight of the hijacker, right? Right. We already talked about it, and the captain, you know. Oh, God! How did you surmise that he was not on the plane when he landed in Reno? Well, a search was made of the plane immediately uh, after landing. As we understood it, he could have gotten off as the plane taxied before it came up here. How did the crew no know he wasn't on when it touched no ground? Way. The crew couldn't know that, but we have the airport covered. Are the authorities now searching for the Snow covers the mountains in northern California and Nevada, a hostile terrain for any parachute drop, especially at night. Police believe he left the 727 in the flatlands of Oregon or Washington, but they are still looking in four states, even around the airport. Authorities began their search here, thinking the hijacker may have jumped off at the end of the runway as the plane touched down. But the problem is more complex. 
A daring parachute escape from a flying 727 somewhere between Reno and Seattle, Washington. Bill Curtis, CBS News. Dan Cooper was a passenger on Northwest Airlines Flight 305 from Portland to Seattle. DB, isn't he a movie star? Uh, a 30-minute flight. He was described by passengers and flight attendants as a man in his 40s, wearing a dark suit, black tie, with a mother-of-pearl tie clip and a neatly pressed white collared shirt. These people have an attention to detail. He took his seat, lit a cigarette, and politely ordered a bourbon and soda for which he paid cash. And then he slapped the stewardess on the butt and she didn't complain. Shortly after takeoff, he handed a note to a 23-year-old flight attendant The bitch was fine! who ignored it, assuming it was just the man's phone number. See, she's used to that crap. She wasn't... And this is pre-hashtag me too. Yes. This is called me employed. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. Uh, miss, you'd better look at that note, Dan Cooper told her. I have a bomb. The note's exact wording... In my pants. Okay. The note's exact wording is part of the mystery, since Cooper reclaimed it after the flight attendant read it. But his demands were for $200,000... She politely gave it back to him. Uh, he, I don't know. His demands were for $200,000 in negotiable American currency. Worth what he thinks that's of one rich studis. What? Why would she have the, so much money? <sighs> Excuse me, ma'am, I'd like a drink and uh, an ex exorbitant amount of money that you could never come up with. Being that you're a 23-year-old flight attendant. Okay. Uh, anyway, $200,000, uh, four parachutes, and a fuel truck standing by in Seattle to refuel the plane on arrival. Is this a Christmas song? The flight attendant brought the demands to the captain. The airline's president authorized full cooperation. The other passengers had no idea what was happening, having been told that landing was delayed due to mechanical difficulties. And then they flew to Cuba. At 5.39 p.m., the plane landed. An airline employee delivered a cash-filled knapsack and parachutes, and Cooper allowed all passengers and two flight attendants to leave the plane. During refueling, Cooper outlined his plan to the crew, a southeasterly course toward Mexico with one further refueling stop in Nevada. Two hours later, the plane took off. So he was a pilot. The man had been in the Air Force. Two hours later, the plane took off. When it landed in Reno, Cooper's absence was noted. Cooper, whom the media mistakenly referred to as D.B. Cooper, was never seen or heard from again. No parachute was found, and the ransom money was never used. You used to be able to get on an airplane without ID. In 1980, a young boy on vacation with his family in Oregon found several packets of the ransom money identified by serial numbers, leading to an intense search of the area for Cooper or his remains. If I was that kid, that money would have never been found. I would have spent it on weed. I will post a picture of it. It's, 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 it's not spendable. It's uh, highly degraded. It's all, it's, it's not uh, in a, it's not in a... In wait, when did he jump? What? When did he jump off the plane? 1971, November 24th, 1971. So nine years later, the money is degraded? It, well, it looks, uh, the money he found was terrible. Okay. I, will, I can show you a picture. Um, That's all right. I got you. Uh, anyway, uh, and like I said, it was identifiable by serial number. So it's not, it's, it's not up to debate that this money was, uh, gotcha. you know. 
uh, leading to an intense search of the area for Cooper or his remains. Uh, nothing was ever found. For a time, it was speculated that Mad Men's fictional Don Draper was the man who would become Cooper. Um, in the real world, a parachute strap was found in 2017 at one of Cooper's possible landing sites. Now, there have been... Wait, a parachute was found in 2017? Parachute strap. Okay. It was uh, dated back to the time period of 1971, that strap? Yes. All now, right. there are a few people who claim to have been D.B. Cooper. Both of them have passed away. All right. The one man, Robert Rackstraw, yeah. looks to be the spitting image of D.B. Cooper. For 45 years, D.B. Cooper was on the FBI's most wanted list. Now, with new evidence in the form of secret FBI files that have only now been released, including a long list of reports and testimonies, all signs point to one man. The name you need to know is Robert Rackstraw. The documents showed that Robert wasn't just your average Joe. He was a former U.S. Army pilot who had flown helicopters in the 1st Cavalry Division during the Vietnam War. This meant that he was trained in explosives, demolition, and parachuting. He knew how to construct weapons and jump safely from planes. Plus, being a former pilot, it would have explained his thought-out list of specific flight requirements. The one thing people are saying is that he was too young to be a man in his 40s, in 1971, which is true. However, he was, in most of the pictures of D.B. Cooper, uh, the drawings, he was wearing uh, sunglasses. So uh, I, will, I will post the picture of D.B. Cooper side by side with Robert Rackstraw. Uh, a lot of people, a lot of people think he was D.B. Cooper. They really do. Um, did, was he had, did he have uh, Air Force uh, experience? Rackstraw, a former Army helicopter pilot who had been awarded a Silver Star for Valor, didn't surface as a spec suspect until the late 70s, according to news reports. He'd been arrested on charges of murdering his stepfather, but was acquitted in a trial in 1978. The following year, he faced charges of aircraft theft, possession of explosives, and check fraud, according to news reports. He was convicted and spent more than a year in jail before being released in 1980. He didn't do a lot of time. No, and he later said, uh, I was acquitted of everything as I recall. Jeffrey Gray, the author of Skyjack, the most authoritative history of the Cooper investigation, says Rackstraw was never a serious suspect, and he is not mentioned once in Gray's book. Well, that doesn't mean anything to me. Codebreaker Sherwood was asked to crack long-suspected ciphers after D.B. Cooper extorted 200 grand in 20s, parachuted from the plane into infamy, he then taunted authorities in post-hijacking letters. When some guy said he's got a D.B. Cooper suspect, you think what? Everybody's got a suspect. They're still looking for Elvis. Retired FBI agent and behavioral analyst, now Professor Jack Schaefer, was enlisted to create a character sketch for Colbert's independent cold case team. Now? Well, I think certainly there's a strong circumstantial case now, especially the link between the decoded messages 
and Rackshaw because that fits his personality. In your assessment, could Robert Rackstraw be D.B. Cooper? There's a strong possibility that he is. Rackstraw had the training and left the military just months before D.B. Cooper hijacked the Boeing 727. I'm thinking, I'm going to look at the military stuff. So I wrote down everything about the military that Rackstraw was involved in. Vietnam, top secret, 371st, their unit. 11th GS, their company. Using the alphabet code where each letter gets a numerical value. A is one, B is two, and so on. This was what was used on letter five, which broke everything open. In Cooper's letter number five, Sherwood noted at the bottom. The seven CCs on top, added up 21. He deciphered that to be ASA, Army Security Agency, their intelligence branch. He'd find 371st. 11th GS. Where our choppers flew out of in Vietnam. And then there's letter number six. Sherwood noted Cooper's, and please tell the lackey cops D.B. Cooper is not my real name. Then he used the terminology of lackey. I said, there's something here. I said, that could be his name. And please tell the lackey cops equals 269. Sherwood <laughs> racked his mind for an equivalent. I'm Lieutenant Robert W. Rackstraw also equals 269. Game, set, match. Rackstraw's D.B. Cooper. Yeah. You sure? I'm sure. And we called Rackstraw in California to ask him about it. He said, quote, why don't you come out to California and talk to me? And then hung up. In a statement, the FBI told us they no longer actively investigate the case, but they add if physical evidence presents itself, physical parachutes, ransom money, call your local FBI office. So Rob. all this circumstantial, fascinating evidence, mm -hmm. nothing the FBI can do? Nothing that the FBI, at least in their comment to us, is willing to do, although it is, by all accounts, even according to former FBI guys, behavioral analysts, it's a remarkable set of circumstances. Okay, it is. Brad, thanks. Mm -hmm. The picture of him side by side looks a lot like him. I will say that for Robert. I mean, I, the other one that's coming out. Chevy Chase. It's not Chevy Chase. It's a gentleman by the name of Walter R. Recca. Author Carl Lauren says this is the infamous man who called himself D.B. Cooper and hijacked Northwest Airlines Flight 305. Walter Recca, his best friend, an accomplished parachutist and veteran. A toast to anybody that jumped out of a 727. Have I got a story to tell you? At a news conference in Grand Rapids, Michigan, Lauren and Principia Media released conversations Lauren had taped with Recca over eight years. They allegedly detail the fateful moments of the 1971 hijacking. This is a hijack and I've got explosives. So you did hand her, hand her the note and since she kind of put it in her pocket like she said, I can't believe you're actually hijacking this airplane. And I says, I can't believe it either, but I'm serious. Rekka's niece, Lisa Story, says her uncle often found himself on the wrong side of the law, had trouble holding a job, but that he loved his country and had the skills to commit the crime. When he was in the Army National Guard, he was in the Air Force Pararescue. Uh, he served during the Berlin Crisis. He served in South America with the Thunderbirds for a short time. He was also in Special Forces. The FBI is no longer actively investigating the case. Recca died three years ago. 
But Lauren says the evidence is overwhelming. It just come to my mind that I did it. I didn't even know if I was going. But you did have a note. You did have a hijacking note. I still didn't know if I was going through with it. Now, Lauren's memoir is called D.B. Cooper and Me, a criminal, a spy, my best friend. And he claims to have documentation about how that $200,000 was spent and wreck his life doing cloak and dagger work for government contractors after the hijacking. I reached out to the FBI for comment, have not heard back yet. Now, Walter R. Recca looks nothing like the drawing. So Walter that's... Recca. That's the, that's the first thing that struck me. Did they take a picture of him in 1971? Yes, they certainly did. Okay. That's, uh, there's, of course. There is a group of people who um, are convinced that he is the guy. Now, he has also passed away. Um, this is the interesting about, thing about him. Walter Becker? Was a, oh, he was a member of a crazy and reckless group of young men who pioneered the sport of recreational skydiving. He had early brushes with the law. He spent his time as an enforcer for the Teamsters. He jumped bail. Uh, he seemed like there was a, uh, there's a lot of stuff about him that seems... And I guess he admitted to being D.B. Cooper. Yeah. To his niece and to his this uh, gentleman who had become his best friend. So... His best friend wants to believe him, wants him to get a DNA test. Yeah. And he's like, no, not doing it. So his best friend goes and sees him and then steals something of his. Guess what? And sends it to get the DNA that test. That is not your best friend. <laughs> okay. Well, then after this guy died, that guy has kind of been carrying this this torch and been doing more research. And he's convinced that the, his friend was D.B. Cooper. Um, friends like that who needs enemas well uh and the guy like i said the guy told him and told his niece that he was db db cooper all right and one of the stories he told was when he landed mm -hmm. wait a second i have a question for you yes why do they need a dna test because i guess they have dna from the scene or uh, of uh, i don't know from his bourbon they, I don't know. They, oh, maybe I don't know. I don't. I'm not sure. But they do have DNA. They sent the DNA test to the to the cops. They should be able to solve it now with 23andMe. They sent the DNA. That's true. They sent the DNA to the cops. The cops said we'll have we'll give you an answer in a couple days. Mm -hmm. They didn't answer him for like three months, and then they said no, it's not him. Goddamn pigs. So probably he, lost the sample. He doesn't believe that. He doesn't believe that their answer was true. Like he doesn't. He thinks they're lying. I don't know what to what end. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but then is this guy, this Walter Recca guy. I'm going to just keep saying Recca, even though it's probably wrong. Yeah, it. He uh, he during his storytelling, he's he's he t he's very specific. Yeah, you know when you peel a beet, how red it looks. Yeah, that's the way my face looked when I looked in the mirror. After it all happened, could you see when you were going to hit the tree? I mean, were you really moving over the ground? I couldn't notice that much. But did you see the tree before you hit it? No, I hit the tree first. So then you buried your chute. No, no I just gathered it all up right there. They put it like in the backpack and left it there with the broken trees. Threw a few branches on top of it. And you could see the cars, though, before you landed on the ground.
did you know which way to even walk? Towards the direction right there where I assumed the cars were going. It was like a little now, you know. When you're walking out to begin with, is the money still like uh, around your chest in your raincoat on? No, I, I had to uh, clean off myself off, took the raincoat off, put the money in the raincoat. If you'd have jumped two minutes before you did, you'd have been in right in the middle of a huge forest. Would have been in something. <laughs> yeah. He says he landed in a you know on a tree basically, got himself down. He was a mess. He had an overcoat on. He had the money in the overcoat. He had the overcoat and the parachutes, uh, or not the parachute, but the the backpack. Says he was a mess, bundled up, tried to straighten himself up as best as he could, and then uh, ran into a trucker. And it was a man who was driving a dump truck, but who was also a musician, who took him to a diner, say. So his friend, you know, has now since got a publishing deal with this book company who has said, okay, we will help you do more investigative, uh, mm. investigative work. They go to that diner, to that area, which has uh, basically been untouched. You know, it's the same. Mm. It hasn't changed in 40 or 50 years. And they go to the diner or to the gas station and say, hey, you know, was there ever anybody around here who drove a dump truck and played music? And they were like, oh, yeah, we know that guy still, and he's alive. So they find that guy. They ask him about that night, and he tells the same exact story as this guy. Evidently, the night that he jumped out of the airplane, uh, I saw him standing on the side of the road. I was going out to play music for a Grange function, which is like uh, out at the Grange Hall. You know, the farmers all have this association called the Grange. And I was out there to play a function for them, to play guitar for him. And I saw this man standing on the side of the road, but I couldn't pick him up. I was in a dump truck and I didn't have a seat on the passenger side and the boss wouldn't let me pick up hitchhikers. So I drove on out <coughs> to this little, uh, it's called a Tianaway Junction. It's what it is. It's a little mama pop type restaurant with uh, some gas pumps. And it's the intersection between 97 and Highway 10. And I'm sitting there drinking coffee and this man walks in. He's soaking wet. Got black slick back hair, a black suit, white shirt, no tie, black pants. You know, I mean, just a whole suit, black penny loafers. And he comes up to me and he says, kid, he says, where am I? I said, well, you're about four miles east of Cleelum. He said, if I make a phone call, he says, could you give this friend of mine directions how to get here to pick me up? I said, sure, no problem. So he went over, he dialed the number, handed me the phone. I'd asked his friend, I said, you coming up over Snoqualmie Pass? You're going to be coming up over Blewett? You know, I need to know which way you're coming. He told me which way he's going to come, and I said, okay, you'll be here in about an hour and a half, as your friend will be here waiting for you. So I handed him back the phone, I went back to the counter drinking my coffee, and then he came over and sat down alongside of me, and he says, well, thanks for your help, kid. I says, your friend will be here about an, about an hour and a half. I says, I've got to go play country music out of here at a Grange function. And he said, well, don't worry about your coffee, kid. He says, I'll take care of it. Shook hands with the man, I got out, and got in the truck, and I left. Well, I heard the plane was hijacked the next day. But I didn't put two and two together because the composite drawing that I saw on TV 
the guy looked like he jumped out of a spaceship, you know, two point of a jaw, you know, had those glasses on. Looked nothing like the man that I was talking to. And they had him jumping out or someplace around Oregon is where they had him. So there was no reason for me to put try to put two and two together to find him where I was. Yeah. So while he looks nothing like the picture, there's some pretty convincing shit happening behind this Walter Recca guy um, that is like, oh, oh, okay, maybe, maybe then. But the picture is such a big deal to me. I mean, if you have people who have his, you know, he wore this, he looked like this, he smoked a cigarette, he drank a bourbon, but, and, and everything else is is right except how they described him looking, like that I don't, I don't understand. That I don't understand. They need to uh, have one of this person's offsprings do a DNA test with 23andMe and see if any matches come up. Well, these people are putting out a, uh, or they have put out a a book and a movie, and they've uh, they've called it DB Cooper and Me, the memoir that solves a 46 year old crime um, by by this guy who had been the best friend who had gotten the DNA. Uh, his name is Ar- uh, Benedict Arnold. No. Carl Lauren, and it says that there's all there's the the video too. It says you can buy or rent it, but I I have not been able to find it. Uh, but you can buy it on their website for fifteen dollars. So, so that it's interesting. They've done all they've they've between him and the publisher uh, who said yes to publishing the book. They've spent twenty years on this. So it's it's interesting. He looks nothing like the picture, though. Hmm. Nothing. So I don't I don't understand. Like the nose is way different. You know the the picture is so specific. The nose is specific. The eyes are downturned. Um, you know the sharp. The nose is sharp. The lips are. Speci- it's just a very specific picture. And when you look at photographs of this Walter Recca guy, it doesn't look like him. But when you look at the Robert Rackstraw guy, it almost looks exactly like him. Except that he wasn't old enough. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. Robert Rackstraw never sold a story about jumping out of the airplane into a tree. He tell the same story. The truck driver? No, I don't think about the... Uh, I don't think he told the same story, no. Um, let's see. Uh, D.B. Cooper suspect Robert Rackstraw dies at age 75. Army pilot passes away from natural causes a year after cold case sleuth identified him in coded FBI letters as... Uh, oh, so this is the thing with him. There, and there was a documentary about him on History Channel. He flew under the radar for almost 42 years. Okay, this could go south pretty quickly. This investigation sniffed him out, found him. He's inside the box hanging out. Confronted him. Do you want to go down as a petty hijacker? He hid until he no longer could. Let me ask you a simple question. No, you're not going to ask me any questions. Oh, I'm going to ask you lots of them. It's one of the great unsolved crimes of the 20th century. A hijacker who becomes known as D.B. Cooper sticks it to the man jumps from a plane in miserable weather 10,000 feet above densely wooded forests, 200 grand and 20 strapped to his body, and a legend was born. 
Description on one wire service, master criminal. But did that master criminal, that legend, even survive? I'm going to start approaching him now. The investigative team moved in, backed by three armed investigators, including two retired FBI. Innocent men don't hide in storage bins. You said you could answer all the questions. You had reasonable answers. I have reasonable questions. I'm not D.B. Cooper. Go away. You're wasting my time and your time. Wouldn't an innocent man do that? An innocent man would say no. When you ask him, are you D.B. Cooper? Are you the person who boarded a flight I just tell you on you? November 24th, 1971, identifying yourself as Dan Cooper? Maybe you I hijacked the plane when it was coming out of Seattle toward Reno? Did you Maybe jump I out? Maybe I wasn't clear, Jim. Maybe I wasn't clear. Don't play, don't, don't try and play Junior you, Dan Ryder. Are you D.B. Cooper? I realized that, that this man is probably a sociopath, more recently known as a, a psychopath or an antisocial personality. Clinically? Clinically. Did you board a Northwest Orient flight <clears throat> on November 24th, 1971? What difference does it make? As yeah? a name Dan Cooper, because yeah. if you're if you're D.B. Cooper, the world would want to know your story. Sure they would. So would the FBI and the secret indictment and Washington, D.C. Bob, you're a folk hero. You're oh, a folk no, hero. Nobody on. cares. Look, Nobody, the only thing I have is a Silver Star, a couple DFCs. means nothing, okay? I helped a lot of guys in combat. That's I it. have no doubt about that, but why would you say in your first <clears throat> that you had 40-plus commendations and five Purple Hearts? Better Do you have five good. Purple Hearts? <clears throat> purple Hearts are nothing. Are you a lieutenant commander? Goes or? Goes off in your face and so then why do you have a Purple Heart plate? Silver Stars was for saving guys' lives. Why do you have a Purple Heart plate? Why do we have Silver Stars? Why do we have this thing we find? But if, if you're not telling the truth on something that simple, <clears throat> where, where does the you truth begin? Told me Did you board that Northwest flight and hijack it? Why are you so evasive about what should be a simple thing to because say? Because you no. guys make such a big deal out of it. Highly respected former FBI Special Agent Jack Tremarco declares with conviction. I think that uh, Mr. Rackstra is uh, D.B. Cooper. I think it's time for him to take credit for what he did. A staggering 800 suspects were identified for potentially carrying out the legendary heist in the first five years. Rackstraw was a veteran with extensive military training serving in the National Guard, the Reserve, the Army, and served in one of the most decorated combat divisions in the U.S. Army, the 1st Cavalry Division in Vietnam in 1969. Rackstraw was interviewed about his link to the case in 1979 where he was asked explicitly to state whether he was or wasn't D.B. Cooper. With a wry smile visible across his face, he told the KNBC reporter, uh, I'm afraid of heights. The reporter, the reporter added that his parachute training in the military means he could have been D.B. Cooper. Could have been, could have been, Rackstraw rep responded. So then there's this letter that comes in to uh, the Portland, Oregonian newspaper in March of 1972 that they think is by Rackstraw. And it's got all of this weird code in it. Mm. And part of his, his, part of his thing was being... Uh, he worked for the CIA, mm -hmm. so he would dealt, was dealing with codes. Mm -hmm. So there's this huge, intricately coded letter. So they gave this letter to a decoder 
an FBI or a CIA decoder. Mm -hmm. Through the decoding process, they came up with the sentence, I am First Lieutenant Robert Rackstraw. It's quite an interesting story. I I lean towards Rackstraw uh, for several reasons. The most is the picture. I can't can't deny the picture. Um, No way of knowing. Until He's, they have some DNA testing going. They received a fo- they received a one of those letters that are, you know, cut up letters from different magazines and such, where he wrote, Doing well in hometown, PO, the system that beats the system, DB Cooper. Mm, he might have just been trying to fuck with people. A nine-digit number typed at the bottom of the letters was said to have only been able to come from Rackstraw because it referred to three covert military units he had ties to during the war. So, uh, so you think he he was just claiming to be and wasn't? Very possibly. Yes. I mean, that's possible, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like he was just a... Uh... I don't know. I mean, it's, it sounds like both of him, the uh, the Rika guy and Rackstraw, are both con artists. How would the Rika guy know about the truck driver? And how would he tell the same story? That is... Uh, exactly. So... And that's just the tip of probably what they could uncover if they did some more checking. So I tend to go towards that guy more than more than the army guy. Plus the army guy... He's an army guy. Doesn't mean he's going to skyjack an airplane. He would have more allegiance to not doing that. He might do some check fraud stuff or whatever, but I don't see how he would do that. This other guy is a complete rebel, and I would see how he would do that. He has no... He's not an army guy. Was he an army guy? Rika? Was he in the army? Because if you're in the army, I feel like you have some sort of um, respect for authority to a certain degree, and you would kind of... I don't know. I just don't see that. I don't think he. I don't. I don't think. Rika he, to me, or Rekka, or Risa, whatever, sounds to me more like the rebel kind of cat who would would do that. He was in a skydiving. Yeah. Team. Yep. That, he seems more like the kind of person, and the fact that he told that story and the other guy told it, that, that seems way more valuable to me. I don't care what he looked like. He could have uh, slicked his hair back. He could have had glasses on. The drawing is often incorrect. You think so? I mean, yes. the nose is so different. Yeah, but who knows? No pun intended. The nose knows. So, that's, uh, you, know, you can't tell until you solve it. I mean, they could probably solve it, but I guess it's the least of their priorities at this point. I mean, who really cares? Uh, in the documentaries, viewers hear Jeff, that's the cowboy, uh, they're the, the, the dump truck driving uh-huh. a musician yeah. in the documentary viewers hear jeff explain how he recalled the strange encounter over 40 years earlier a man who had just come in from the elements as red as a beet with his overcoat wrapped around something carried under his arm no idea where he was and asking for directions from seattle jeff matched walter's description of cowboy and walter matched jeff's description of him so there you go. Yeah, it seems pretty accurate to me. Or or maybe he knows him. Maybe it's a scam. I don't know. It's all a scam, maybe. Well, I don't know. Never, well, he just, no. He it, knows him? I don't know. It's it's so crazy. But you're right. The 23andMe could probably easily solve this. And you know what? 
may have already done so. Get Walt to wreck his daughter to shit in a box. Send it off. Okay. To Walt. Gavin McGinnis. Niece. A niece. A niece. She's a niece. But uh, Send it off to the labs, and then you can also drop a little specimen off with uh, Sylvester Stallone if you want. My thing is that I have a feeling that the 23andMe shit is already being used for this, and that the FBI doesn't want... Look, the FBI makes a lot of mistakes, especially back in the 70s. The Son of Sam shit that went on for too long. Um, you know, it's just they're, they're, they do get the wrong guy, and they don't like to admit it. Today, attorney Mark Zaid spoke on a lawsuit challenging the FBI over what he calls a refusal to review evidence. This cold case team developed 95 separate tangible leads and pieces of evidence regarding who we believe to be D.B. Cooper. This is information that the FBI has never seen. They've never seen these 95 pieces of information because they refused to take it from us. We believe, or I at least believe, the FBI exploited and sabotaged the History Channel program in order to make it appear that Bob Rackstraw was not D.B. Cooper and they could close the case. Why are they doing this? They're trying to avoid embarrassment by the fact that Bob Rackstraw, D.B. Cooper, has slipped through their fingers on a number of occasions over the years. Perhaps they have solved this and we'll never know. They bumbled the sample in the first place. You think so? Yeah, yes. I think they just grabbed it and... It got lost, it never got processed. Well, we see the picture of the tie and the tie clip no, that I'm still exists. The Walter... Oh, you yeah, think that sample that he sent in and waited forever to get back, they never tested it. Yeah, you think they just dismissed it or just lost it? Yeah, it didn't even get got thrown out eventually. That could be. That could be. Yep. All right. Well, this has been our episode on conspiracies, unsolved mysteries, and deep dark secrets. This has been uh our fifth one on this. Manix. I love uh I love these ones. They're fun for me, even though you shit on everything. Now, Mannix, the TV show, has nothing to do with this person. Maybe it's an homage. Homage to Mannix. That's a sick homage, baby. Yeah, well, it seems like This is my a... character. His name's Kevorkian. Yeah. <laughs> he seemed like a bit of a dick. Uh, I, he's, yeah, he seems like a, a thug, really. All right. Thuggy is mom. All right, folks, uh, thank you for letting us uh, entertain you with this bullshit during this crazy time um we appreciate it hey get some pizza you know what i'm talking about don't get any pizza stay home listen to our past episodes hey make your own pizza make your own out pizza? of pizza stuff no you got that stuff here in the closet what? get out of the closet with your pizza you weirdo you need uh yeast a lot of people don't have yeast that's what you have a daughter for that's disgusting. You know, I'm cutting I'm that part out. You, need, you got home ingredients. You can't go to the store these You're days. You're gross. You're a gross fucker. <laughs> yeast. Yeah. Okay. That's the yeast of the problem. You're the you're the yeast of the problem. Your face is yeasty. Yuck. Uh -huh. You're ashy. So? No, you're not. You'd have to be black to be ashy. Well, maybe I am. Maybe you're that's black. the big <clears throat> plot twist. Are you de Blasio's son? No, but someone did accuse me of being Chinese once. I'm de Blasio's son. We're all de Blasio's children. No, we're not. No, we're not. Oh. All right. Uh, anyway, we'll see you uh, next time, guys. Uh, stay safe. Stay home. And oh, Jesus uh, Christ. stay cool. I just ripped my pants. Good.
Right. 